Hello and welcome to the ALC Pan-African Radio's Talking Africa program. Talking Africa provides in-depth interviews with experts and other actors in the field of peace and security in Africa. Hello, I'm Desmond Davis. My guest today is Surya Robley, who is the Executive Director of OAPS Africa. Uh, Surya, can you tell us a bit about OAPS Africa and what it actually stands for? And Thank you for having me here. Uh, AWAPSA Africa stands for Advocacy for Women in Peace and Security. It's a, an organization that means main objective is to empower women, especially on issues of peace and security, through lobbying uh, to ensure that women are in positions of decision making. Uh, we also work very closely uh, on uh, violent extremism. That's, that's, that's one of the major uh, activities that we do, where we work with women who are victims of terrorism, and especially women who have been trafficked uh, into Somalia, uh, uh, forced to get involved in issues of terrorism. So we work with the, both women and girls. Uh, within the girls, we have programs like mentorship programs, where the, women, the girls who have, have, have been recruited and have come back, we mentor them and uh, we talk to them, we give them counseling, and we use them as, uh, you know, uh, lobby group so that they can talk to other girls on the effects, uh, negative effects of violent extremism. We work with university girls, especially here in Mombasa. With the women, we also work with women whose children have been recruited into Al-Shabaab. We also have peace programs, uh, community uh, policing, we have programs of Nyumbakumi initiatives where we push for women to be in decision-making positions within the government setup so they can be able to be personally involved in their own security and how they can support their community on matters of security. You're concentrating in Kenya or East Africa? Uh, East Africa East at Af the moment, yeah. Mm -hmm. within the, this program is actually within East Africa, but there is, uh, countering violent extremism is within Kenya, in three regions. Yes, that, that's very <coughs> interesting, the uh, issue of violent extremism and yeah. women. Yeah. Uh, how does that really play out? Because women also have their own minds. If they want to go and join terrorist organization, I don't think they would, they would have done that by themselves, don't you think? Yeah, they have their own minds, uh, but I don't think there's any country that has legalized terrorism. And unfortunately, women have become the soft spot. Women have become a soft target. Women have become, uh, for a long time, women have been victims. And this is because, uh, you know, within our cultures, women have never are not empowered. When I talk about empowerment, I mean, I mean, when you have your money and you can be able to make decisions, then you can make uh, decisions that probably can influence positive on your life. Unfortunately, because of our cultures, because of our little education, because of the religion uh, aspect, our women are not totally empowered to be able to stand up and speak for themselves. So most of them have been have found themselves. They have been lured into uh, uh, terrorism. Uh, they have been cheated. They actually didn't know that they were getting into it. So our, actually our organization is basically to create awareness, to let them understand the impacts uh, of, of, uh, of uh, violent extremism, to talk to the mothers so that they can understand some of the effects, some of the, uh, of, of the changes, the things that they can watch among their, their, their children so that they can be able to identify 
if their children are actually getting radicalized. I think it's important to give, uh, to give information, but what they do with the information is now their own decisions. I think that's where now you come in to say they can make their own uh, decisions, absolutely. Well, I mean, in the case of the Chibok girls, I mean, eventually when some of them were released, they said they would prefer to stay with the, uh, the Boko Haram uh, members because they, they, they felt that uh, there was a life there for them. Um, I, I don't think so. I, I, looking at the girls and the, the atmosphere or the surroundings that these girls were captured, uh, I, mean, I think we need to agree that it was not their own decision that they, they, they got captured. I think it is something that just happened. And considering that they were very young girls, I think I, I want to imagine what they went through the two years or three years that they, they had been captured. These were young girls who had, were students, who had no idea about getting married, who had no idea their own biological uh, uh, bodies, how they, they, it works. These girls were captured. They come back with babies. You know, the, 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 those are the first men I want to believe they've seen in their lives. So for sure, they have not seen anything else. But, but some stayed behind. Some they stayed said, behind, yes. they stayed they behind. Said, they, they but I don't think they were actually in a stable mental state, to be honest, because none of us know what happened there. I don't think they really had, it, had a good time for them to stay behind. But I think it's the attachment they had with the children. Assuming, just, just think about these girls who probably they got raped, they got pregnant, they have no idea who the fathers of ch those children are, the shame in their societies, the stigma that they are coming to face. I think maybe I would also do the same, would want to stay back to avoid all the, 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 the what people would say about my community considering that they come from a very conservative society. Mm. So I think, I think it is a catch-22. I don't think they stayed because they wanted to, but maybe it was a better option then. Is that the sort of thing you're, still, you're also experiencing with uh, women in, in this region, those who've come back? Yes, but those who've come back, uh, interesting uh, scenario, they actually come out. One thing first we need to appreciate, uh, anybody who has come back from joining terrorist groups is considered a criminal by the Kenya government. So for us as civil society, we come in in between, we become mediators. We need to make the government understand that these girls weren't there, not because they wanted to go. It is because either they were lured, they were cheated, some of them were actually drugged, some of them were, were promised opportunities, were told there's employment. They were not told they're going to Somalia, they just found themselves there. And another thing, considering the culture in Coast Province where our girls get married very early. So some of these men come here to marry our girls in the pretext that they have come to marry them. And then within a short while, they take the girls with them. The moment they land in Somalia, they don't even see those men anymore. So when you listen to their stories, you get to understand actually these girls are very naive. They are very ignorant. So our duty is actually to create awareness, to let the government understand that some of these girls, they did not do it out of their own will, so that they don't look at them as criminals. I can confirm to you most of these girls have not even come out openly. You know, because uh, one time the government uh, declared amnesty and said people should come out and say they went, they came back. But uh, after seeing a couple of young boys coming out and some of them disappearing and, you know, there's all these issues of extrajudicial killing, the girls decided to keep off. So some of them have changed identity, some of them have moved from their towns and gone to other towns. So for us, we work with them because we believe as Kenyans and young girls, they need opportunities and they need to be supported. So 
I want to believe after some time, now that the government is coming out to accept that we actually have a problem, and this problem needs to be sorted out. Because I can confirm to you, in this town today in Mombasa, if it is not your family who has joined the terrorist group, then it is your neighbors. So it is something that for me is a time bomb. We either address it or we wait to see the, so, so, the so outcome. What, so what you're saying, there are links throughout the community with people who've been to uh, Somalia or that sort of thing. Sorry? What, you, what you're trying to say is that within the community, there yes. are links, people have connections. Yes, uh, and friends or relatives who've been. Absolutely. And uh, don't forget that uh, this thing started as an ideology. And then uh, it comes in to become an economic uh, uh, issue. But now sometimes we ask ourselves, what, what is the problem here? Because you really don't understand. Because by the end of the day, most of the young men who have joined Al-Shabaab, if you do not handle the issue, then you get family members who become sympathizers. Yes. And the next thing, they also, they don't see that it's a problem because nobody has come with a better solution. And girls or women have always been victims. But the, now, as we speak, most of them are being used as perpetrators of violence. We've seen that in Mombasa where girls have been shot at the police station because of trying to petrol bomb the police station, something like that. So for us, I think these are young girls, they are young lives that need to be protected. And I think our role as leaders in the community is to give information, to try and let them understand that uh, you can actually live a better life here. Because nobody has gone to Somalia and come back and tell us that life was so good there. They got money because they are told you get $1,000, you get $400. And you know, our people here, most of them live below poverty line. So that is something that is really, uh, they take advantage of that because somebody tells you I have nothing to lose. It's okay, I'd rather go die there than die here of starvation. Well, I mean, it, it, it's, what it, they say. it's a very good point you've made because it's creating awareness. Yeah. Because we see it also with young people going to Libya to cross yeah. over the Mediterranean yeah. and they're dying. I mean, isn't that sort of message getting out to them that it's dangerous to go to Somalia, it's dangerous to uh, cross the Mediterranean to go to Europe? but they're not stopping it. That, that's the interesting part. But that's, that does not stop us from continuing to do what we need to do. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so I'm, are you happy about the sort of information you're putting out there to discourage I think, I think, I think we're trying. People Let me tell you, it's a very difficult scenario. Very few people work in such conditions. Because one, even us, we are kind of threatened because we don't know who we're dealing with. Within our community, we have the victims, we have the informers, we have the sympathizers, so you don't even know who you're dealing with. So the next thing could be a target. So it, it's, it's a very risky job, uh, I can confirm to you. But uh, sometimes I think as people who have worked in women empowerment, this is something that has come up. We've always been talking about empowering the women, taking them to schools. Yes, we've pushed for our girls to go to school. But now the main place where girls are being recruited is in the universities. So we're asking ourselves, then, where do they have to go to school? So by the end of the day, we still have to solve our own problems that we've created. Well, we can't run away from that. It means then there's a major problem within the community, problem. within there the country itself. There is a society problem. Yes. There is a society problem. We, that is one thing that we have accepted. As Muslim community, we have also realized that we are, we are, we are also a problem. We don't seem to face things head on. We are running away from the realities that our family values are disintegrating. We are not imparting good values to our children. We are not talking to our children. We are hoping somebody else will do it. You understand? We have families that uh, do not have fathers in those families. 
most of our families actually one thing i've also noticed most of the girls or the youth who have been recruited when you go to those families you realize those are families of single mothers so you, when you have a teenager who does not have a father figure that becomes a problem so these are community issues actually that can needs to be tackled at the community level what you then maybe if you have if you build a stronger network that will help to you mentioned something about sisters yes, without yes, borders how, yes. how, how does that work actually that, that that works because for example we have programs in Mombasa we have programs in Nairobi in Isili we have programs in Garissa this this is a platform that we sit down and share ideas nobody has solutions to the problems but we really need to talk to each other and the strategies we use in Mombasa is not a strategy that Nairobians Nairobians will use because the, the 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 scenario is different the environment is not the same so it's basically to because we are dealing with the same thing we don't want to replicate we want to the the little resources that we have we need to have an impact that's how the organizations came together and we decided to be doing joint programs that's the whole idea yes with me that to a certain extent those in Nairobi are comfortable so they are not interested in trying to reduce the problems in the what, what do you, why do you think so no, they are not I'm, comfortable. I'm, I'm, they have a lot of interventions. In fact, them they have more issues about the youth. Nairobi is a different scenario. We have all these youth who have come from the diaspora. That's where the problem has started. People are migrating from Europe, from America, coming back to Nairobi. F families are bringing their children back, either because they could not survive the Western culture. When they come here, they discover that they've been overtaken by events. They can't fit in. Then the, that's an, the next option is to, to, to join the gangs and terror groups. So everybody has a challenge, everybody has a challenge. It's just that we really need to, the government needs to address these things more candidly. A lot of progress have been put in place by the government also. At least now we have uh, the National Center for Countering Terrorism and hopefully with civil society being recognized in their efforts, I think it's something that is going to help us. But something else we are also doing as women is to try and make women sit on the table where decisions are made. Because many a times, Decisions on security are discussed. And when you look at the table, you don't see any woman. And like you, I always say, if there are people who have information about security, it's the woman. When you go to the marketplace, you find women. You go anywhere where there's a crowd, where people are doing business, where you go to schools, it's the women. So if you want to know in a neighborhood who is a stranger here, ask a woman. But when you do not involve them in making decisions, then I don't think we are heading anywhere. So that is something else we are doing, empowering them. We make sure they see to where decisions are made because the decisions affect them by the end of the day. Well, well this debate has been going on for a long time. And about it will continue uh, going yeah, on. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it means that progress has not been made, really. Or has there the been progress, progress is made. But the, 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 let's not forget the problems are also very dynamic. They keep changing and take different shapes and forms. So it doesn't mean that we need to stop. And uh, even the, the, the terror groups, the way, the, the, how they started and where they are now, they have really changed and they're becoming more sophisticated. So it means we have to continue coming up with better ideas, better strategies to be able to, 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 to support our, our, our community. I mean, we have girls who sit in the house, they don't go anywhere, they don't get out of the house and they get recruited. We are talking about the challenges of social media. We are talking about the challenges of people not understanding their religion. So it's, it's, it's a whole uh, uh, complex scenario, that's what I can tell you. And it's not something that can be solved with one strategy. It's something that needs concerted efforts so that people can join in and see what we need to do. Yes, you mentioned social media, and that's very, very yeah. dangerous, to be honest. I it mean, is, how, how, it how, is. how do you think governments and 
NGOs can uh, try and what, what, curb the... Yeah, what is happening with the government? They're actually now monitoring the social media and the messages that are going through. We have civil societies who are running programs specifically of social media, uh, where they, they have different websites and sites where, where they're able to monitor what goes in, what people are talking, what people are discussing. Because it's not very difficult to know somebody is being radicalized or somebody is, uh, is being recruited. So it's, uh, and, and the, the sad scenario is that you don't have to go anywhere. You can actually access social media, the comfort of your bedroom. So it is something that is also not very easy. And most of our parents have no idea how to operate a Facebook page, a Twitter handle. So our kids have become smarter than us. That's another challenge the parents have. Yes, you mentioned that uh, people should look out for the signs of radicalization. Yes. I mean, what yes. are these signs from your own experience? Let me tell you, when I see my nephew walking in there, I've known this boy for a long time. All of a sudden, his talking has changed, his dressing is a bit different. Mm -hmm. the people, you, you can tell, as a parent, a sister, you can know there's something wrong. I always tell them, mm -mm, the way I see you, I don't think you're going the right way. Of course, he'll tell you, no, they have decided I'm putting, I'm putting on beards. I mean, religion did not start yesterday, so you can't just change overnight. There must be a reason. That's, that's my argument. There must be a reason. So you need to monitor. You need to look at what they are watching online. You need to see the friends there. So say, most of these boys have been recruited either it's in the mosque or within the playing grounds where they play football. And it's always from their friends. Because when they go, when you find out that the boys who have gone, it's always a friend or a relative who, are, who has met them get recruited. He's not a stranger. Because you need to confide in somebody, you need to understand somebody, have confidence in them for you to listen to them. So the signs are there. But as parents, of always, we, we ignore until when it's too late. Yes, but I mean, in trying to recruit someone, you, you must have seen some vulnerability in that person. Absolutely. And then, and then that's Absolutely. how you move in because it's not everyone who's... Let me give you an example. I have, a, I have a Facebook page. When you read my Facebook page, you'll see I was in Machakos today. Uh, I'm a politician. I talk about politics. Recruiters are not interested in politicians. But when I start putting on Quranic verses, I start talking about Prophet Muhammad. I start saying this is haram, this is halal. Then I am the target. Because they need to get a place where they can just come in, where you can start talking and, you know, have a conversation. That's how it starts. So they are not, they're very smart. They, they know whom to look for. That's, now that person, who's, those girls who now become religious and they start talking about religion, those are the vulnerable ones. Because not all of us understand our religion 110%. So when somebody starts coming in and starts challenges you, you become excited and you start communicating and that's how it goes. The next thing, yeah, but what about the religious leaders themselves? Because, I mean, in so many countries in Europe, they are the so-called hate preachers who create the, the environment for uh, 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 radicalization. I mean, they themselves should take the responsibility. I agree with you. In Kenya, I think we've had the two sides of the coin. We've had those hate preachers, but the majority are the moderate uh, preachers. Those are the majority. But unfortunate, the unfortunate part is... A few issues have happened here, and I think some of our preachers have also been become victims in the sense that they've been targeted. So, personally, I still think the biggest problem we have is our religious leaders have not taken up responsibility. Because by the end of the day, we all look up to them as our religious leaders. But by the end of the day, they also look at themselves as individuals. 
because they also care about themselves. I know some of the sheikhs who have been killed here because of they've been looked at as by the terror groups, as these are informers, these are working for the government and things like that. So they've become scared and they kind of uh, pulled off. But uh, for me, I think the biggest role of the religious leaders would be to let people understand their religion. Once you understand your religion, you can be able to make informed decisions. Mm -hmm. Two, they also need to talk about family values. Because uh, I always say, I like my Christian brothers and sisters because for them, even when a couple is getting married, you go, you get counseling, you talk to your father and things like that. It doesn't happen to us. A man, you pick a man from the streets and the next thing is your husband. Nobody even knows where that guy has come from. These are guys who have come here, they stay in Mtuapa, they go to a neighborhood, they stay for a year or so, they acquire local ID, the next thing they've gotten a girl. When you come to realize the guy was among the terrorist members. So it's, it's just unfortunate. But so I think those are the things that our religious leaders need to address so that parents can be able to manage their children. When you talk to our parents, they say, no, my son, I've been defeated by my son. How can your own son defeat you? It means you, you've not been there for that person. So they go for a next uh, uh, plan of action. They just get to somebody who can listen to them. And those are the people who influence them. You are listening to Talking Africa on the ALC Pan-African Radio. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Thank uh, you. My, my guest today is Surya Roble, yeah. who is the executive director of AWAPS Africa. But, but of course, I mean, the other day when the Iraqi troops got into Mosul, we found quite a few European girls who come from privileged backgrounds who had gone to join the uh, uh, ISIL. How do you square that with what's happening in Africa? To be honest, some things don't have answers. Even in Africa, in Kenya specifically, we've had girls from very good backgrounds. University students, somebody who has been educated, uh, their families are providing for them, and they just walk out one day and they just leave. So when you ask, you don't even get answers. You know, these are people now who have become religious and they've decided to become brides of the terror groups. They think by supporting them to achieve their end result, then they are doing jihad. That is, that's, that's how I'm getting it, which is a very stupid thing, I'm sorry to say that, because these are very educated girls. So it's not even about education anymore. It's not even about money anymore. You know, this is a very complex thing. I think it's a personal decision people make. But unfortunately, uh, for people, I think, like us, we still think it's, it's something that, uh, uh, that needs to be salvaged. I don't think they are, they are making the right decisions. And the parents themselves do not understand why their children uh, are doing something like that. We've had girls who are well-educated, even the girls who, who were, uh, were involved in the police station here in Mombasa, they were girls who had done very well in their all-level and they were due to join university. And they, were, they all got killed, just like that. Well, well, that's the point. I mean, education broadens your mind. So, I mean, maybe that is giving them an opportunity to rethink the way they see the world. Yeah, that's why, that's why I'm telling you, some of us who are in women empowerment programs, when we talk about our girls going to school, uh, now we are being challenged. You said, okay, yes, you wanted our girls to go to school. Yes, they're in the university. So what? It's not making them better because they, they don't make better decisions. But for me, I still think uh, when you compare somebody who has not gone to school and somebody who has gone to school, I think you have an opportunity to make better decisions. 
But then, but at the end of the day, the final decision is, is yours. There's nothing we can do yes. about that. But I think we continue to create awareness to let people know what is good, what is bad, what are the intentions of these terror groups. Because when you, some of the girls I work with, you know, when they tell you what they've gone through, where they went, it's 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 a very sad scenario. It's something that they have not uh, overcome themselves. Uh, you know, some of these girls came back sick. Uh, you know, the, these, these are girls who are recruited, they are trafficked, they are put in a, a, a home. Some of them become sex slaves, some become workers, some of them become wives, some of them become... You know, it's, it's, it's all sorts of things. But when they left here, they are told, we are taking you to the Middle East, there's a job for you. Some of them are promised scholarships to go to, to university. And somehow, they just found, found themselves there. So it's something that I cannot even explain myself because I try to ask myself so many questions and I don't have answers. But it's also a problem, not just women being trafficked for uh, uh, terrorism. Yeah. They've been taken to the Middle East, in, in Saudi Arabia, yes. in Lebanon, yes. and they're, they're treated badly. I mean, what, uh, yes. what, and what organizations going. like yours doing? You know, because it's everywhere now on social media how they're treated badly. It is very true. It's very true. Uh, some of these things are policy issues. Because by the end of the day, the agent comes, you, apply, you, get, you get a job, you get your visa, you go into a family that you've never lived in. We have quite a number. I'm not going to say that all the labor, uh, the, the girls who have gone out because in search of uh, work well. have been mistreated. But the cases that we've had are very pathetic. But some of those issues need to be handled by the government. Because we have other countries like Malaysia, like India, where government to government need to interrogate. They need to understand we have our people in this country. But you need to, because even when you have a problem in Jidda, for example, and you go to your embassy, nobody's even care. They don't even know how many Kenyans are there, which is wrong, because you need to take care of your people. So this is something I think the, the government has taken up, the Ministry of Labor has taken up, they now need documentation, they need to know who has gone where, so that if there is a problem, they can be able to help you. But unfortunately, we have told our girls, you can find something to do here. And there's nothing, if, if you can leave here to go to Saudi Arabia to earn 15,000 shillings, you get mistreated for two years, for heaven's sake, you can go to the market and sell potatoes and earn 15,000. So I think we also need to let them know that sometimes you can actually get what you need where you are. But it's always this perception that you've gone to out of the country, you need to go and get money, and you can support your family. Most of them come back worse than they went. But are there the opportunities for women in, in, in this area? Because I mean, 80% of them are in uh, agriculture, but they don't get they don't own the land, they don't get credit. Let me tell you, let me tell you, know, you. I so think we've come from very far. Before our country, uh, uh, before our new constitution, 2010 constitution, we had a lot of issues. You, you do not own anything. When you want to get a loan from the bank, you have to get a signature of your husband. You want to travel, you have to get a letter. Things have changed. I think things have changed. I think we have the best constitution now. But we still need to let the people know their rights. You cannot fight for a right that you have no idea about. That's another challenge we have. How many people know what their right is? Now I can own land. I can go to the highest level of education the way I want. I can own properties. You can do whatever business you're doing. But you, there has to be opportunities also. The environment has to be conducive. And there is no country that is 100% 
good for women. So I think as course, women, yeah. we, we still need to push, we still need to support each other. But to be honest, things have changed. Women are owning land. The president has come to coast, has given titles to women. But we also still need to educate our women to tell them the values of those titles. Because most of them do not understand. Most of them sell those titles. The moment you get a title, the next thing you are selling it. Then the one minute the man is getting a title, he's getting another wife. Mm -hmm. So our community also, they, they really need to be educated. Our leaders have to let them know the values of these properties. But things, to, be, to, to, to confirm to you, Kenya has changed for the better. Yes. We just need to keep pushing. Yes, because it is very, very important, like this sort of interview will help yeah. to, put the, to put the word around. Because, I mean, the weakness generally in Africa is that people do not know their rights. And they yes. are not given an opportunity to even find out what their rights are. That's, that's what's holding no, it is, it, it's very up. true. It's very true. In this country, uh, I think Kenya has one of the highest number of educated young people. I can still assure you, because of our cultures that are so engrossed in us, you, it's not so easy for a woman to just get anything. Even for us who are enlightened, we still have to fight for every, everything. Even to be in leadership in this country, the men will not give you an opportunity just like that. You have to fight for that opportunity. So what we need to do is to give that confidence to our women to tell them that everything is possible, but you need to keep pushing. And as I said, with the new constitution, there are so many opportunities. This government has given out money to women to do business. It has given money to youth to do business. And they're still complaining that people are not even going for the money. But you know, you have to implant the culture of doing business. Not everyone yes, is a business exactly, person. Exactly. Yes, you understand? Of course. Yeah, mm -hmm. so you can give somebody that money the next day, they don't have the money. So, so we still need to do a lot of just giving money is not enough. You need to impart that knowledge, you need to let them know how to run a business, you need to let them know uh, how they can manage their family at the same time. Because the biggest burden we have as African women is you're a master of everything. You have to take care of your family, you have to take care of your husband, you have to take care of your home, you have to take care of your business, you have to take care of a sick mother or a sick child. So the women are overwhelmed. That is why they become very, very, very vulnerable. But by the end of the day, I want to give them credit. I think they have tried. So, so you're confident, actually. I mean, it's yeah, just, I think it's just five years since the uh, constitution came yes, into being. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Almost seven years now. Yes, because and we've uh, seen the changes. We've even seen the government has tried to show that they, there's, a, there's a political will. A lot of women have been appointed in leadership positions. We are hoping in the next parliament that we are going to have affirmative action. That at least all elective positions there has to be a third woman. And we've seen that in the last parliament, although the men have tried to say it's expensive, it's what, we cannot afford to, because women are not getting elected. Why? Because they don't have the money, they are fearing the violence, political parties are not friendly to the women. Otherwise, if they had the, the goodwill, they would give tickets to the women. Like I keep saying, in a stronghold like Central, if they decided to give nomination tickets to the women, automatically those women will be elected. You, in, 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 in Nyanza, where it's a stronghold for opposition, you give them the nomination tickets, they will be elected, then you can get the third. But the men themselves don't want to give position. We have to keep fighting. Then so I can assure you, we are, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, that's good. Because what about, <laughs> um, you can take an example from Rwanda itself, in yes. the politics, where um, yes. it's got one of the highest percentage of women. In the, I think in the world. In now. the world, yes. 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 No, but I mean, of course, the battle really is not just... But you know, it's still affirmative action. Yeah. And I think, uh, God forbid, but I think sometimes when you get uh, a calamity, 
then you become sensible. Mm -hmm. Rwanda managed to do that because of the genocide. Yes. Where the women were brought on the table and they became mediators, they became peacemakers, and they, they, were, they were given those opportunities. And that is why today it is one of the best countries in the world. So maybe sometimes you need to face some of these calamities for you to welcome and say, oh, okay, I think this is the way we need to go. But Kenya, we pride ourselves as one of the highest educated uh, community, but Uganda is better than us in terms of leadership. Tanzania is better than us in mm -hmm. terms of leadership. Yet, we pride ourselves. So sometimes it's not just talking. We really need to put things into action. Although in any case, the battle is not just in Africa. Because in Europe, yeah, in America, they're still fighting for equality. Yes. Pay, the BBC is paying the men <laughs> more than the women. So it's, it's, it's a universal uh, it's very battle. True. Very true. Mm. It's very true. It's, it's all over. Mm. I, and that makes us feel a bit comfortable because we, it's not an African thing. It is, it's, it's, it's a it's perception a, it's a all over. Yeah. Thing, yes. yeah, it's a global thing. So that gives us, uh, become a bit optimistic that actually things can change. <coughs> thank you. Suraya Robley, Executive Director of WAPS Africa. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Talking Africa and ALC Pan-African Radio. For these and other programs, please visit our website at alcpanafricanradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook at African Leadership Center. For feedback on this and other programs, please send an email to info at africanradio.com.